Hello everyone and a very warm welcome to this Textile Talk podcast. I'm Gail Cowley and I'll be your host today. Joining me is Kate Makin, who owns Northern Yarn in Lancaster, England. Just to give you a little background to Kate and Northern Yarn, Northern Yarn is an independent wool shop situated in the historic city of Lancaster with a strong focus on locally sourced British wool including their own line, produced from the fleeces of local flocks of sheep. Owner Kate Makin, who joins me today, works together with local farmers, paying a higher-than-market price for good-quality fleeces. She then follows the process from sheep to skein, creating a completely traceable product using a renewable local resource. The unique nature of the shop not only attracts visitors from all over the UK, but also worldwide. Kate also organises local events, promoting British wool and the women that work with it. Shepherds, farmers and specialists, encouraging people to switch from acrylic to natural fibres. Hello Kate, thank you so much for agreeing to do this podcast episode with us. It's really lovely to have you here on the podcast. Hi Gail, thanks so much for asking. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah, me too, me too. So I wonder if I could start off by asking about your knitting journey really. How did you actually get into knitting? Did somebody teach you? Were you self-taught? Did someone encourage you? I just wondered how that worked. Yes, um, my grandma taught me how to knit as a child. So I was maybe seven or eight. I'd go and stay with her for um, a weekend and um yeah I think it was just one Saturday afternoon she gave me some uh, yarn and needles and got me going and I just loved it <laughs> loved yeah. everything about it and the fact that I could just be creative I think I don't think I followed patterns for you know until I was in my 20s really and mm-hmm. um, so I would just cast on and make people scarves make teddies clothes make my siblings glasses cases anything yeah it was a whole new world um, and I, I spent um quite a lot of time on my own really as a, as a kid so it, it gave me something to do and yeah totally hooked mm. so have you sort of dipped in and out of it um over time because I know that I have I mean I, I perhaps had a similar story and that I my grandma taught me to knit and it's something that I've picked up and put down a lot through my life you know not done it for yeah. long periods and then gone back to it yeah so I did I think I knitted till I was maybe 10 and then uh, 10 or 11 and then I didn't pick it up again until my 20s doing shift work. I was living in London and I was doing, you know, I'd do a whole 24-hour shift with the sleeping and then I'd be at at home during the day and and off until the night time. So I picked it up then again, actually. Yeah, it was like I'd never put the needles down. Um, Completely loved it and I joined a group. Because I think back then, so I was like early 2000s and YouTube wasn't what it is now. And so being in a group was really important and I made some really good friendships. But just all the support and, you know, the frustrations that you get when you're not sure what the pattern means or it's, it's don't know how to fix mistakes. 
and I found um, a supportive group was amazing then and really helped you know someone who can show you oh no it's just this or you yes just done that yes <laughs> absolutely yes um it does make a difference doesn't it if you've got a community around you oh yeah yeah for sure um so what prompted you to take knitting from a hobby um to a career and, and obviously then into starting northern yarn yeah it, it was one of those things where the stars seemed to collide really so we relocated back to the northwest um I'd spent 15 years in London um and when our girls were very small we decided to move back up back up north and I was still knitting so I very much missed my um group of knitting friends down in London so I think the first thing I did was set up a local group because there were knitting groups here in Lancaster already but because of the ages of um, my kids at the time I couldn't make any of them so I thought right I'll start a group (laughs) so I went to our local community centre and um, put the shout out on various things and it was like eight o'clock at night when the kids were in bed uh, and for the first few weeks, I was on my own, really. I had a friend that would come along with me when she could as well. Uh, so that started uh, me finding um, some of my people up, up here, really. And then we had a local wool shop in town and it closed down. And at the same time, I was kind of looking to get into work slowly, you know, maybe a couple of days a week. And mm. so uh, I think my sister-in-law mentioned, you know, well, you could do something with with your knitting and I was very much no I don't don't think so you know you you can't really make your hobby into work can you and and then it was yeah not being able to find um British wool so I I like natural fibers and all of a sudden our environment was sheep farms sheep farms (laughs) (laughs) a real disconnect it's it's like if if we are surrounded by sheep and, and farms and things like that why can't I find at least British wool, you know, not even local wool. Um, something in my head went, maybe something could work here, actually. A few internet searches, um, local wool, Lancashire wool, I found um, a lady, Kate Schofield, um, who produces her own wool and works with farmers, kind of in the same way where that part of my business works now. Uh, and she was looking for an outlet, someone to sell her wool. Mm. So that, along with West Yorkshire Spinners, um, Teeswater Wolves, who I, I don't think they're they're uh, running anymore, but uh, Frida had her own Teeswater sheep uh, not so far away, and she hand dyed a wool, and so I, I, I found a selection uh, of as local as I could get it wools, and and took them to market. So I bought myself a gazebo. It was a big investment at the time. <laughs> it was like a gazebo. Uh, table with some wool and that's it I went to market Lancaster and Garstown twice a week and started from there now that's a chilly occupation oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) rain shine snow and yeah there's a lot of hanging onto your gazebo while everything flies flies around but I I can imagine (laughs) not the getting up at six o'clock and carting everything down the road but um and and yeah for 18 months I, I did that uh, but it was a great way to meet people and you know people who wouldn't walk into a wool shop necessarily would come and stop and talk and be really interested in you know the the idea of of having local wool having a, a product that's made from sheep you can just see uh, down the road or you know everyone's connected um, and, and that's kind of what I wanted with Northern Yarn I wanted a business that would reflect 
our environment now and where we lived and the community uh, of people. You know, when I was taking the kids to school, um, I'd be talking to sheep farmers. So when I decided to try my hand at a business, I wanted it to be something that was about my life now, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how, how easy did you find it? I mean, did you find the farmers quite receptive or or um, not, not so much? I mean, was it a difficult thing to break into? No. So I think it was like a, a simple question first with a, a friend at the school gates. And she was talking, you know, she told me that she kept pedigree pole dorsets. Um, and, at, and at the time, I knew nothing about sheep breeds. I, I liked natural fibres and British wool, but that was about it. And I said, what, you know, what happens to your fleeces when they've been sheared? And she goes, well, you know, they just go off to the wool board. We don't get much for them. And that's about it, really. I think she she had seen some of her wool come back. You know, she'd found some online or something, but that was it. And then, I, you know, that's, again, got me thinking. It's like, right, I'm, I wonder how local I could get this and if I could uh, have our own wool processed and, and then when I decided to have a go, it was, right, well, I'll take everyone with me then. You know, I'll blog about it. I'll learn um, with everybody and tell people what I'm finding, you know, the, the difficulties and the obstacles trying to find a, a mill that would take, the, you know, the smaller amounts of, of fleece that I did have. You know, lots of them have huge minimum quantities 200 kilos and things and there's might be an 18 month waiting list and so it was it was all of that but I thought well it's an adventure and hopefully everyone will you know be want to know a bit more about it yes so so the the process I mean obviously that the sheep are in the fields and they get shorn but what happens after that as far as you're concerned yeah so, so what I mean say with my first uh, first lot I went to meet the sheep and talk to uh, Lynn. Oh, it was lovely I saw the lambs being born and um, the kids got to bottle feed some of them so it, it was really really nice in that way and we I was a bit nervous about watching them being sheared I kind of hoped that there would be nothing too traumatic um, <laughs> no sheep being hurt and, and no there wasn't you know there's a few clips and nicks here and there um, but it, it the sheep were looked after really well you know it's a fast job you can see you know because she's got hundreds of sheep that need shearing but what happened then was we laid all the fleeces out I mean this was after I'd already bought you know fiber and fleece books and I'd gone to look about Paul Dorset and whether it would make a good yarn and the staple length of the, of the fleece if that was you know the right kind of length to be spun um, and once I'd done that and decided that you know I wanted to have it processed so we came to look at the fleeces, check that, you know, they, they were good quality. And if the sheep had been ill, you can sometimes see a break in the fleece. And, and that doesn't help when it becomes to be spun to be a yarn. Mm. Um, and then it was gathering it all up, speaking to a mill. I found Halifax Spinning Mill, uh, Paul Crooks, who runs runs that. And he he takes smaller amounts. So with my, I think it was 60 kilos of fleece, it, he agreed to spin it for me. And, and it was relatively quickly, you know, within six months. So I took it to the mill. And at that particular mill, Paul will scour it. So he'll clean it there, uh, card it and woolen spin uh, and then send it back to me in in Hanks. Uh, and, and that was my first uh, yarn, which we called Janet. 
uh, it was a, a lamb's wool, a pole dorset lamb's wool, and it was named, I named it after a Lancastrian heroine because uh, again, that is just connections with, with the people. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that that's the witches, isn't it? Is it? Well, no, the word Janet. No. Janet was a really popular name. Oh. <laughs> and, and so she was 16th century. No, this was Janet Craig. She was um, uh, so Quorma is sort of out the beginning of the Trough of Boland here. It's just like a mile up the road from where we live in town. Um, and she, her grandchildren were orphaned down in London. So this woman, so the story goes, rode alone on horseback down to London and brought her grandkids back in the panniers of, of her uh, saddle on a horse oh. and came back. So she, and it was lovely because once, um, you know, I'd, I'd released Janet into the world, I had people contact me from Australia and said, oh, I'm related to Janet Craig and, um, you know, I'm going to have to have some of that wool. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> you know, from the, where, she, where she lived. So yeah. does, the, does the yarn always stay a natural colour or, or does it go through a dye process as well? With, with the first yarn, we got we sent in 60 kilos and I think we got 30 back. And I think generally via the mill or the big dyers, you need 15 kilos of finished fleece per colour. So it just wasn't going to happen with the first one. We just had it all natural. But um, Angela Gardner... Uh, the textile uh, artist and um, she hand dyed some of our early yarns which was lovely we, we have now got a, a bigger line Methra so we did manage to blend four breeds of sheep and we got a more consistent line so we got lots back from the mill and we were able to have um, some colours dyed there so we, we had like we've got five shades now um, and of course by mixing some of black fleece into uh, the mix we get nice greys so I've had uh, some different shades of greys and browns and warbles which is nice. And do you have customers that decide that they will dye their own they buy the, the yarn and then dye it? Yeah yeah so people really like the natural colours because each breed of sheep and the way the yarn has been some will create a different shade of color as well so it's nice to see the diff- the way the different yarns take take dyes i suppose that would be acid dyes wouldn't it that they would use for that yes we can or there's um jeanette mcdonald who's color works uh, in lancaster she uses natural dyes and she's dyed some of our yarns and it's lovely to see how vibrant actually you can get the shades of the pure wool Yes, because it's it's something that you with the natural dyes you often think about them not being sort of very they're very subtle colours, aren't they? Not being very bright. Yeah, muted. Um, mm. Jeanette can get some re- really bright ones. You know, it's uh, it's really interesting to see, and it's really nice to have things that are dyed with you know it's such a natural product with with natural dyes. It's really. Um, yeah, satisfying. <laughs> yeah. So so what kind of um, finished things do people use them for? So we've got lots of, um, quite a few designers now have made things, have designed things with our Methra and Mamo. Um, so lots of sweaters, shawls, hats, mitts, lots of lots and lots of things. You can do anything. We've had weaved uh, shawls. Yeah, it's the possibilities are endless really (laughs) (laughs) yeah I'm sure they are so how how did how did all this sort of 
feed into starting the shop? Did the the yarn obviously came first, and then what led you into thinking that you would start Northern Yarn? Yeah, so the market store was Northern Yarn, so I started um, right there, and then the yarn came. Um, I, I set up a few events locally to, so people could yarn sample. So we had, you know, people could come and sit down and knit with pure wool. I think someone told me really early days that oh, you won't be able to sell pure wool in Lancaster. Nobody will want to buy it. And it was <laughs> inside me went, okay, I'm going to prove you wrong. Because <laughs> I knew that if I was interested in, um, you know, natural wools and local wools, then there would definitely be but you know other people would too so the market was a really nice way of pulling together those people that were interested and and yeah you know huge amounts of people and students now just lots of people I think generally are interested in where things come from you know the provenance of either what they eat or what we wear um, and that's really coming through with young people too so the idea that um, there's a fully traceable yarn that for their hobby or actually you know if they're, they're studying and they want textiles it, it became really clear that this was going to grow and grow which was really nice so after 18 months on the market I decided to take a, a big step and um, go and get a lease on a shop so I'm now in in Middle Street which is we've been there for six years now um, right in the centre of Lancaster um, we've got space for classes upstairs and we've got lots of socials. So we now have uh, two socials a week and we have one at a local community centre too. How do you find time to do it all? Because it, it <laughs> must be, <laughs> it, obviously people want to come and do the social aspect after work, won't they? I imagine anyway. Yeah. Um, so that must mean you do some very long days. Yeah, it's... Um, no, I think it's just in my personality, but yeah, we've got two kids, we've got two cats and a, a puppy now for, some, for just <laughs> growing and growing. And yeah, I'll do a full day at the shop, I'll sort of race home, pick one of the girls up, make tea, come back to the shop, knit night, and then come back and do bedtime because they're older now. Um, my goodness, you're superwoman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure, yeah. But it's it's great, you know, it doesn't feel like work because I enjoy it so much. Um, yeah, it's tiring. Um, but I think working for myself and doing something that I love, I just feel very lucky, actually. You know, I've worked in a lot of jobs um, where I've not looked forward to going to work in the morning. Um, mm. But every day for me, you know, I'll open the door, I'm like, hello, shop, and I'm here. It's totally my comfort zone. It's um, sanctuary in there, and everyone who comes, it's great there because they like love wool too so you know or they wouldn't be coming and it's you can tell people enjoy coming to the shop and looking around and and chatting and it's um yeah I feel very lucky really do you have any do you have any help in the shop can you call on anybody and if you don't feel well or anything like that oh yeah so we've got um two uh, lovely women work with me Ruth who works every Tuesday so that's why I'm able to talk to you today so <laughs> she covers the shop and she does the daytime afternoon knitting group um, and Ruth and Rachel also run some of the classes now so we're about to run a steaking course uh, but they've done colour work courses we've done socks how to knit a jumper in the round because um, I, I love seeing people learn 
new skills and things that I once found difficult and would stay away from like colour work or in, in the round any of those things and and when you try it with a bit of support it's it's great you know it's it's not magic it's just learning a new skill so we really like either sharing those at the socials or or with classes but yeah there's there's Ruth and you know, Rachel does the classes and I've got Lola Rose who's a student at Lancaster Uni and she's just the quickest knitter in the world I think and she makes some beautiful things um and also you know we've got Lisa um who's joined us recently so yes I definitely get days off and holidays and and all the time you know want to spend with the kids at the weekends I get some weekends off too yeah I think I think you need that that um backup don't you because otherwise it can if you push too hard it can be start to feel like a chore oh yeah yeah, and it's it's really important um, that I get time off. Like we close over Christmas, I think we do up to twenty third, and then we don't open again till beginning of January. And it's it's really nice just to have that time. And and because <laughs> someone someone else, my friend Wendy, said, you know, it's hard turning your hobby into a job because you it sometimes ruins your hobby. <laughs> you know, yes. it doesn't yeah. feel like something you enjoy anymore. And luckily. That's not happened, but I can totally see how, how it could easily if, if you don't, you know, give yourself a break sometimes, like in the evening, because you could work all day. You know, I could open my laptop at night and think, well, I'll just do those accounts or I'll just order that wool. And, yeah, you have to come say no. <laughs> that, that's it. I think that um, people often assume that when you run a, a, a craft business, that all you do is sit there doing the craft but of course that's not true is it because you're running a business then yes. and you've got all the things that have really nothing to do with the craft so it's sort of social media um blog posts as you say accounts um yes. there's just so many things forward planning paying bills there's so much isn't it that goes into it that that actually I don't think perhaps people think about no and it's um yeah, lots of people come in, it's like, oh, I'd love to sit here and knit all day. And it's like, yeah, I, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> you know, which is no. great uh, because, you know, the shop's busy and we do online too. So, um, and we do really well online and we get orders from, you know, all over the world. So when I'm not serving people in the shop, I'm kind of upstairs packing parcels and then I'm processing them. So sometimes I make myself do a few rows at the shop. It's like, no, you know, I, I, I'm my own manager here and I can um I can do half an hour on, on this sock but yeah it, it's it's not what you might think you know but it's, it's still very enjoyable <laughs> it's it's almost um a, a second career isn't it away from the knitting to do all of the business side yeah um, yeah were there were there any sort of um pitfalls when you were setting the shop up you know if someone else was thinking about eventually doing that is there anything any advice that you'd give them I would say I enjoyed the market. It was a lot of work, but it was a really nice way as an idea of how it might, how it might be and all the work, work involved. I'd say definitely get your accounts sorted sooner rather than later and make sure that's, you know, we keep on top of that because I can learn the hard way. Um, but if you're enjoying it, I think I stayed away from a shop at first because I just thought it's, all the hours actually when I was on the market I could pick the days that I wanted to work so I'd, I'd you know I could just do 
Wednesday, Thursday and Saturday. But with a shop, um, you don't have to open every day, but, you know, you've got more of a responsibility. You've got um, rent to pay and maybe business rates, depending on where you are. But, uh, you know, if it's what you want to do, try it. With Northern Yarn, I've, I've just gone for it, I guess. And I'm really glad that I did. It was it was always a kind of day by day thing for me. It's like, well, let's just see what happens, you know, and mm. rent can be a real pitfall. Um, you know, cause you, depending on where you are, you might have business rates and it does take a big chunk out of your profits at first, you know, because you're still building up. And, and that was the good thing for me in that because I started on the market, I was able to build up a customer base there. So when I moved to a shop, it wasn't just all really fresh and no one knew where I was or I already had customers who would come and find me. So so I did find that useful. Um, if anyone was thinking of doing something like that, you, you know, you could do markets first, I think. But there's quite a few shops in, in Lancaster where that, that's the case. I suppose um, probably all of us have had... I mean, we live live near a little market town, Ormskirk, and there was we've had various wool shops there that have come and gone. Yeah. I suspect. I mean, I don't know what you put your success down to because you know you you obviously are going from strength to strength. But I wonder with some of those wool shops if they haven't specialised because what you do is really quite specialised, isn't it? Yeah, I think that really has helped because it gives me something to talk about. It gives me something different yeah like you said people will come to the shop um and seek me out either online or or in person because of what I do uh, with the local walls and it's got such a um it, it's so important to me that it I can blog about it I can take pictures of the sheep the farms and yeah it, it gives it a whole a different spin than maybe just wool you could buy online yeah I was actually talking to um, somebody that was a, uh, well, he was developing a new process actually for dyeing for wool, an an eco-friendly process a few months ago on the podcast. And he was, he's based in in Texas in in the US. And he was telling me that um, somebody out there had started a business um, called, I think it was from sheep to shirt. And um, people can actually, I mean, the, 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 the clothes are very expensive, but they have their their shirt woven from a particular sheep, and there's that sort of link. And apparently, he's yeah, he's doing really well with it. Yeah. Um, so I suppose that that link with you know the original um, yarn or the original animal or whatever is obviously very important, and perhaps getting more so. Yeah, I, th- I think it it is. It, it's. I think, as I mentioned earlier, it's like a provenance is important, and you know, being able to say, especially when you're taking such a long time to to knit something or to crochet or weave, it's like, yeah, I, I know exactly where this was made. I know there's been no air miles. I know that it's not had any, you know, if it's natural, no chemicals. Um, it, it, yeah, I think mm-hmm. it really important um to me certainly but it it really helps me connect it's another step to connecting me to what I'm what I'm doing yes and again I mean when I I must admit when I knit I always think that I won't use I never use cheap yarn because 
I don't have such a massive output that you know it the the, the original cost of the yarn particularly matters to me. Yeah. Um, but also, I, if I'm going to spend that amount of time on something, I want it to be a really good product when I finish. I want to enjoy handling the yarn. I want to enjoy sort of actually knitting with it and I want to enjoy the product at the end and hope that it's going to last quite a yeah. while. That's it and feel good about it, as you said. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I think environment was um, something on my mind when I started the shop and, you know, we, we do sell sock yarn, um, which has some nylon in it, but I have done lots of exploration with no nylon socks. and, and But apart from that, yeah, I, I don't want to have a business that, that damages our local environment when I'm selling a product from it. <laughs> you know, no, absolutely. It, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. But you do shows as well, don't you, which I know we haven't sort of mentioned yet, but could you tell us a little bit about those? Yeah, so I've done, well, at, at the minute I tend to do Yarndale, which is in Skipton. It's September, September time. Um, and that's a really lovely one. Um, you, you can there are live um, animals. There are lots of talks you can go to, and we just take our own yarn. So in the shop, we've got wool from lots of places. You know, West Yorkshire spinners, John Arbin, uh, New Lanark, and Crookerbeck herd. But lots of different ones. With, with Yarndale, we just take our own uh, because it, it gives us something to talk about, and it's sort of the the USP of our business, you know, is the production of our, of our own wool. But yeah, I can really recommend Yarndale. It's a really nice one. It's in a big sheep auction mart, so everyone's in their own pen. Um, <laughs> it's really busy. There's just a lovely atmosphere. Um, it's over a weekend, so a Saturday and Sunday. Kendall, unfortunately, you know, that, that one isn't there anymore. Um, oh, oh, I didn't know that. What a shame. Yeah, I think they stopped last year. Um, and Woolfest, I don't think that's going anymore, but there's a Cumbrian wool gathering now. I think the first one was last year, and there's another one this June, so we'll possibly be be there. But, yeah, we, we don't manage to do too many shows at the minute, Just it's just uh, a time thing and, and, and weekends that are eaten up. <laughs> um, I can... Family I... and things like that, so, yeah, one yarn daily year is, is almost enough at yeah. the minute. <laughs> I I would imagine that packing everything up because you almost have to take well you do have to take the stock from the shop don't you really so yes in a way yeah. you're just changing your place of business for that weekend I imagine <laughs> yeah well we're able to keep the shop open because we just take our own yarn and we've got quite a few lines of our own yarn now and um, we can fill a stall with that um, and then leave the shop in you know Ruth Lisa or Lola Rose's capable hands and and they sell what we've got left in, in the shop I mean it's, it's we're quite a big shop really so luckily yeah we've got a decent amount of stock to keep us going but it yeah you have to you know you hire a van you spend the whole day before setting it up and you're there we're there till late and then we mm. set up again you know seven o'clock in the morning and you you don't get back until seven o'clock Sunday night so it's it's really enjoyable it's exhausting um but I always come away from it thinking, oh, that was great. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like yeah. Talking to people. And it's nice because you go to a show, I think, to discover new um, producers or, you know, new yarn dyers or anything. And you, usually everyone's in a good mood and 
just enjoy finding um yeah new people new connections Mm. and and for the things that you keep in the shop I suppose I'm thinking more along the haberdashery line say that you'll obviously need do you yourself have to go to a trade fair to source those that's a good question sometimes I don't I don't feel like I am a good (laughs) good yarn (laughs) shop owner because I totally should go to trade fairs um I don't go to many and again it's just a time time thing um I, I, I stock uh, Addy and Chow Gu, Knit Pro and Higher Higher and, and then I like the, the from the smaller independent um producers. Um I did go really early on to a Birmingham um show um and I would like to go to, to Harrogate this year. But for someone like me, I'm I'm kinda of more about finding out about new local British yarns and the small producers and farmers. Um and, and that's kind of where my um, attention goes yeah yeah do you do you yourself have preference as to which needles you you enjoy using because there's so many out there aren't there oh it is yeah and we're, we're really lucky and there is so much choice um I am a new convert to chowgu I really like they do do bamboo but I like their metal needles um because I generally always knit on circular needles and they're light they're so they're, they're nice and sharp but not too sharp there's no snagging on the joins and the cable has no memory so you don't it doesn't kink and twist everywhere that they, they are kind of the rolls royce of, <laughs> of needles mm. a bit more expensive but they're they're really lovely and dead popular in the shop i've, I've never heard of that it's, and they're called chow go yeah it's it's chinese for crafty lady so it's oh Chowgu, yeah. They so say they do it lots of interchangeable sets and they do, you know, minis and sock needles and very fine uh, needles. But yeah, they're, they're a really lovely brand. Because mm. it does, again, that's something else I think that increases your pleasure when you're actually knitting. If you're, if you're yarn, if you're using lovely yarn and you're also using really nice knitting needles, that makes a difference, doesn't it? Yes. I've been using a pair recently and I've that was, was snagging I, I can't remember it wasn't it wasn't one of mine <laughs> of course not <laughs> and it was just annoying me you know it was just oh I think I was knitting socks and it was just pulling on the on the join and neither some needles will just do that after a while but I couldn't I had to change because yeah. yeah it's just you, you want it's such um in this busy life you've got say half an hour an hour to yourself of mindfulness and relaxing and yeah that little snag every time it goes around is just going to drive you don't want to you don't want to spend it fighting with your needles do you (laughs) no I think it's I mean there are some absolutely beautiful sets out there and you know for, for obviously quite a lot of money but I think they make gorgeous presents as well oh yeah and especially if you're starting out getting yourself a collection of circulars I think it's well worth investing in a set you know if you if you haven't got lots already um but yeah Christmas this year lots of people are investing in in the Chagu uh, complete sets because it's yeah they're just very pleasant (laughs) you know they they, all the packaging is very lovely and all nice and neat and put together Mm. Uh, they're the one thing that don't really you don't have to choose someone's skill level do you or yarn preferences or anything like that no no it's just um all there ready Mm. for you 
<laughs> so when when you're knitting assuming when when you get the time to knit what sort of things do you knit now do you knit for the family or for yourself or yeah it's a mix I kind of go through phases I've, I'm not a monogamous knitter so I've usually got more than one thing on the needles and I there's usually always something I can take to knit nights so it's either socks or something where I'm going round and round dead easy but at knit nights you know there's lots of conversations and things and it's so easy to make a mistake um mm. so I've, I've usually got something small and easy and then yeah I like the jumpers at the moment so I'm knitting lots of jumpers for me but by because they're for me they're for the shop you see so it's oh, I see. yeah it's so it's like my walking wardrobe I tell people because the shop's covered in samples and sweaters and jumpers and hats Mm. Um, so I can kind of go into the shop and think right I'll wear that one today it uh, just happened to be in your size yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was even one that I made for my husband supposed to be for my husband but it didn't fit but it fits me so you know oh <laughs> that's, that's, that's handy yeah uh, he has got one of his own now uh, so I do I do knit for the family too and, and actually recently you know, I've knitted a couple of hats for my uncle and auntie in America and my cousin had a baby so I crocheted a blanket and yeah it's a nice mix of lots mm. of different things. Because we've we've talked actually that's a really interesting point we've talked obviously about knitting but obviously a yarn will be used to crochet as well. Oh yeah yeah I mean I'm predominantly a, a knitter but I I've taught myself how to crochet very basic um sort of stitches I can treble all the way around and round and round and, and that is a kind of goal of mine over the next few years to get a bit more proficient um, and be able to read those crazy crochet chart patterns and things um, it doesn't yeah. it doesn't help that they're all country specific does it no oh no it's like different terminologies and things but yeah almost certainly you know people go into the shop and say I'm looking for crochet yarn is there a difference and there isn't really, you know, so you don't want a splitty yarn to crochet with, but definitely all our natural um, local wools, people crochet with them too. Mm. And, and usually actually it takes more yarn to crochet, doesn't it, than knit? Yes. Yeah, it does. It eat, eats it up. So if somebody came into the shop, which I'm sure they do on a daily basis, and um, asked you for a recommendation for a first knitting um, project, what would you suggest to them? So quite often, um, I mean, we've got a beginner's kit, really, and we've put, it's a scarf, um, and it's a tin can knit design. They kindly gave us permission to use it in our kit, um, and it's just like garter, Aran wool, so something not too fine, I think, is often a, a good starter. Um, and you've got a garter stitch and then rib, and then you can just practice and practice and practice, and lo lots of people enjoy that. Some people want something smaller, so you know it could be a hat if they're a bit more of an adventurous beginner. Like a hat in the round is great because it, you're already getting over your fear of circular needles. You know, some people really worried that it's going to be difficult. When actually, I think it's easier than straight. No, I agree. I think it's easier. I, I mean, I I knit socks myself. Um, yeah, for all of us when I get get the opportunity. And I much prefer circular. I'm I'm a real convert. Yeah, it's just it's great. I've not looked back. <laughs> I think it was ten years ago. Um, I made a, a a jumper. Oh, it might have been socks the first time I used them. 
And I just thought, oh, yeah, this is the way to go. Because <laughs> yeah. I don't like sewing, you know, or, or sewing up. And I would always worry about getting this, the sleeves looking good, you know, trying to match up the stitches to the, the, the pieces. So, no, I, I love knitting in the round. So yeah, a hat can be a really nice beginner's um, project. Or even socks sometimes. And we sell like a six-ply sock yarn that's a bit thicker. Um, mm. And like the Winnick Mums patterns are so good and easy to follow with tutorials on their blog. Uh, so, yeah, it depends oh. on how adventurous people are feeling. Yes, I, I think I've got all of Christine's books. Um, they're, they're really excellent patterns, aren't they? Oh, really good, yeah. Do you find a lot of people coming in and asking for to make a start you know people that haven't done it before yes. and uh, do you find that they tend to be younger or older or is there any is there any particular age group that you can see sort of coming to knitting more now no it's a really good mix I think like, even this week what day is it? it's Tuesday yeah yesterday I think we had a couple of people in and one was a young person who wanted to try knitting and then there was a an older woman who came and a lot of the time they might have done it as a kid you know as a child they made something and then now they've got time in their lives to start a new hobby or try something again especially in winter you know when it's cold and long nights and things so no it's a really nice mix of um all ages men and women which is really lovely wanting to try something where it doesn't involve scrolling you know you can turn the telly off and you can just lose yourself in knitting or crochet that's the lovely thing about it um that's that's actually really nice that more men are coming to it yes yeah it would i mean lots of say my you know older maybe older customers say that their uncles taught them how to knit you know, they mm. would have, men would have been the knitters in, in the war, so they would have knitted their socks. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it kind of changes over time, doesn't it? It, goes, it sort of fluctuates in, in which genders have been knitting the most, but soldiers definitely would have been knitting. Yes, I suppose most things um, craft-wise are cyclic, aren't they? They tend to come around, you know, trends come and go. and Yes. Uh, essentially, really... I suppose only so many things that you can do with a pair of knitting needles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so with things to keep coming back into fashion. Yeah. I mean, it's nice now because I think it's so much more global, isn't it? You know, with Ravelry and you've got patterns from designers all over the world. And I really like whenever I'm knitting something new, there's generally a stitch or a cast on or a cast off that I've not done before. So it's, mm. it's learning there is thing you know new things to learn all the time i get some you know knitters customers in their 70s and 80s and and they may be trying knitting in the round for the first time and love it <laughs> you know it's, yeah. it's really nice there's just something there's just lots of new things even within something as simple as needles and wool <laughs> to learn yes absolutely yes and i mean i know that obviously you have um i think you're saying that you have two knit nights in the shop Yes, so we have um, one every week on a Tuesday afternoon, two to four, and then we have um, one every other week on a Monday night in the shop, uh, and we do one at a local community centre once a month as well. 
do people bring along their own projects to those or yeah whatever anything um we don't have any stipulations at all you don't have to book it's just one pound fifty donation towards you know the tea biscuit lighting heating whatever um and then you're good to go so just bring whatever you're working on and then you know it's just a really nice couple of hours just focusing on um your your project and looking at what other people are making and being inspired by by that or you know you might need a bit of support with a pattern so it's really lovely everyone's so supportive it's a really nice Mm. community and I know we we touched uh, just briefly on um, actually making up garments, which can make or break, can't it? Your knitting yes. you can do you can knit beautifully, but then you come to make it all up. And if if uh, I think it's an area that people tend to be very concerned about, yes. do you do courses in in actually making things up and how to um, you know get the seams correct and whatnot? Yeah, we have had um, a course. Not for a while, actually. We did a finishing course that was um, yeah, how to fix mistakes, actually, is, is a popular one. And we found even with our Learn to Knit course, the one of the most frequent questions that's come up is, like, well, how do I fix that when something goes wrong? When What, what does that mean? And that's so important. You know, I, I think my tendency when I was learning was just to find, yeah, you need someone to show you I mean now that's why YouTube is so helpful because generally if there's any mistake or any, anything at all isn't you know someone on YouTube will have made a video showing you how to fix it mm. um, when you when you've dropped the stitch sort of 20 yeah. rows back yeah, it's like oh no you know whereas I think when I was learning it would go in the corner and I'd you know the naughty corner and I wouldn't talk to my name for a while until I was able to see someone to say you know what do I do um but that's the yeah I'd, I'd say that comes up a lot and how to fix mistakes and it's really important it was it's nice that people learning uh, you need just that bit of confidence don't you that if something goes wrong you can fix it quite easily yeah, yeah that, that is you, you reminded me really that we probably should do that course again <laughs> <laughs> I think that if you leave a project and there's a mistake in it and you can't see how to go forward that's when you just tend not to return to it isn't it um I I always try if I can to make myself fix it there and then yeah that's a a good tip yeah because I think yeah as you said once it's put away it and you kind of forget where you were up to what the problem was you know it all goes out of your head doesn't it so that does yeah top tip (laughs) it does yeah do it straight away while you remember what it was because otherwise it just sticks in your mind there was a problem with that piece of of knitting but you can't remember what it was and you certainly don't know how to fix it that's it so it stays in the bag (laughs) oh bless yeah um so I wonder what what's next for you and for for northern yarn Do do you have plans for the future yeah, so what I've really enjoyed actually uh, this last year, we had yarn processed from um, a really young shepherdess uh, called Jess. She contacted me over summer and she had started her own flock of sheep with her own pocket money. So she'd bought a couple of Shetland to go alongside her granddad's longhorn cattle. Um, and she contacted me because she at 15 knew that they had a value. Uh, despite you know won't have enough to get to the wool board really so 
um, I was so intrigued and inspired really by um, by her contacting me. And so I went to see visit the sheep and we managed to get um, a run done with, along with Jess and uh, another local farmer, Diane, um, who came to the shop one day looking for Shetland. And it was just a conversation because I knew Jess's wouldn't be enough for a run at the mill. Uh, and then she said, oh, yeah, I keep Shetland sheep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I, I spin, uh, you know, sometimes my own my own yarn. And, and so I, I keep my Shetland for, for yarn only, really, which, which again, is brilliant. And it's like, right, well, I don't suppose mm. you'd have any fleeces this year, would you, that we, you know, I, I would be really interested in having a run. And it went from there. And we got it back in uh, November. It's actually sold out now. But it's um it so it was a, a small run and I haven't done that for a while really to have had such a small run from t- from two flocks and two women-owned flocks and I and I loved it the yarn is absolutely beautiful it's uh, you know 100% Shetland it's a really dark grey all, all Jess's sheep were black and all Diane's are a, a mix so it was really exciting to see what colour it would come you know what shade of grey it was going to come when it came back. And because the sheep are so well looked after and they're young and it, it's like Shetland I've never felt before, <laughs> it's beautiful. So I'm really excited to have that done again. You know, we're going to do the same thing and Jess has bought more sheep this time um, and Diane has a few more sheep. So, you know, we'll, we'll hope to build up that range and look at some other, uh, I've got, I want another local yarn done again from some friends who have a farm out in Korma we were actually meant to have theirs done last year but because the sheep had to have a certain medicine uh, before shearing it meant we couldn't have it sheared because that's also important that you know the, the wastewater from the scouring when, they, when they're cleaning the fleece goes back into the system and, and certain chemicals you definitely don't want going back back into the water system so so yeah I'd say I'm, I'm really looking forward to have some more Selena we called it uh, I called it Selena after Selena Martin, who was um, a local Lancastrian suffragette. And I thought, yeah, you know, someone who fought and went to prison for uh, the rights of, of women and things. And here are two women-owned flocks and women-owned business. And, yeah, it, it felt a really nice connection. Uh, yeah, a, a lovely way of supporting them, especially for somebody so young. I mean, that's incredibly enterprising. Oh, it's fantastic you know and she's such an inspiration she wants to be a um an animal vet when she or a farm animal vet when she grows up and yeah she's um she's great and loves the sheep and another mm-hmm. thing that we do I don't think I mentioned is we, we pay more um than the wool board would give for people you know for farmers and, and their wool because Generally, it costs you know one pound thirty five a sheep to be sheared if, you, if you're getting people in, and then you have to pay for the transport to get the fleeces to uh, to the wool board, and then it's only after they've been auctioned that they get money back. And at the minute, it's it depending on what breed you've got, it doesn't really cover your costs, so it's kind of viewed as a waste product by you know lots of farmers. But yeah, just knew. It definitely wasn't a waste waste product, and, and contacted me that way. So it was. Yeah, yeah, she knew her value, which is which is great. Yeah. I mean, one pound thirty five is it feels like so little, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not even the price. It's probably not even half the price of a cup of coffee. Yeah, that's it. And um, it, and then there's a connection between well, why is the wool expensive? But that 
you know it's the the processing and all the costs associated with that 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 are expensive to do and much and, and slow you know it's a, a really slow process getting yarn processed right right from the field and from what you were saying there's quite a bit of wastage when it actually you know from the original fleeces when they go to be processed there'll be some wastage there yeah I think we sent in 35 kilos and there's there's really only a couple of mills that will process that that amount because you do lose a lot uh, in the processing but we started maybe with 35 kilos um, and then we lost 10 or 12 kilos when it was scoured so when it was clean so all you know the lanolin or most of it is washed out uh, and then you lose more in the this carding and spinning so I think we came back with 12 kilos <laughs> so it's gosh not a lot at all um, no, the more you have, the less you you lose. I think. Yeah, no, I'm sure. Do you do you ever think about going um, into something a bit more exotic, such as alpacas, or because I know they are there are alpacas locally, aren't there, to Lancaster? Yeah, there are, and yes, I would. I like alpaca. It's really nice blended into uh, yarns. Yeah, never say never. I haven't yet. Mm. I've kind of stuck to you know wool pure wool but yes <laughs> if anyone's out there with a herd of alpaca <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so um just to to finish okay I I wonder if you I suppose like other people and um, that work with the public have any funny stories to tell or anything that's any encounters that you've had with people that have stuck in your mind oh yeah I mean every day is bring something like that you know from the market days and being asked for you know if I had any Jeremy Corbyn coloured wool (laughs) (laughs) I tried to think what colour is that (laughs) Um, and then we've got uh, someone who's making bio cement for you know an environmental project and but there is it's funny so so Katie who I think you know I I was talking about something that happened in the wool shop uh, and it's actually not with a customer it was me it, it, it can come with a bit of a tip and that's don't use wool as teeth floss <laughs> <laughs> and I know most people wouldn't and I don't know what made me think it was a good idea but um, I think I had a seed in my, my teeth and then decided oh I need to get that out there's just customers coming in and I haven't brought my toothbrush but okay just use a bit of this this wool and then got it stuck in my teeth so I had this six inch piece of, of yarn sticking in between my front teeth and then it just jammed I couldn't get it out one way or the other way so it's you know panicking oh my what would that look like if someone came into the shop now <laughs> what hanging out on now so, so um, enthusiastic you eat it <laughs> yeah good for everything so I had to trim it and then run to the shop and get floss and then try and oh it was just a disaster it was it was awful but it yeah it was making everyone laugh in um in at night and I kind of said I wouldn't tell you but I have now so don't oh well done teeth floss books would be <laughs> tip well done thank you thank you so much um for joining me I have really enjoyed talking to you Kate and um and is there anything else that you that you'd um like to say before we finish off anything about the business or um just thank you for um your support if if you'd like to look jump onto the website I do try and and blog 
um, fairly regularly about, you know, all the yarns that we have produced and you can see pictures of the farms and interviews with the farmers and, and things. So, yeah, just if you want to hop over and have a look, that'd be great. And we'll make sure that we in- include all those addresses with the podcast. That's so great. I say thank you ever so much for um, for doing this. It's been lovely to speak with you. Really nice. Thank you, Gail. Thank you.